Did some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul. I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you. I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face. And I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who can't watch the show through television, we air to close to probably 500,000 houses now. Uh, They can go online, streaming video, and uh, watch from anywhere in the world, www.hotm.tv. We want to welcome our viewers. We were able to see where our streaming video audience comes from. And uh, Kevin told me earlier that we're having people from Brazil, from France, Germany, Spain, Sweden, Australia, India, and of course, all over the United States of America watching Heart of the Matter through streaming. So we praise God for that. And through our YouTube uh, audience, just met some guys from Seattle who just know about the show through YouTube. So... Check all those things out, those avenues for Heart of the Matter. I was a born-again Mormon. Uh, The hard copies on back order, we're trying to refigure that. But we've made it available to you for free. If you want to make a donation for it, fine. If you don't, you want to download it through a PDF, you go to www.hotm.tv and uh, click on the book. And you can just download it right there and have it in your hands within minutes. So last Saturday, we met at a high school in this area, and uh, we had kids show up to film the opener for a new television program we're going to be airing in fall called The Gray Generation. They came from all around the state. We had girls and boys and surfers and punks and hacky sack players and guitar players and socialites and tattooed teenage fathers holding babies. I mean, we had every type come out, and they were phenomenal. I mean, they patiently and without pay... Uh, hung out from 8 in the morning till 3 in the afternoon. It was hot. They were tired. It was tedious. But they came through like champions, and we're so proud of each of them for, for sticking their neck out and giving us their time uh, for, this, uh, for this program. We can't thank them enough. We all also thank their parents for coming, many of them who hung out too, and for all the volunteers who were there to just support getting this thing done. You're going to see it in fall, and I think you're going to be very impressed with how it was done. If you want to see what that's all about, you can go to www.thegreygenerationtv and check that out. Now, mark your calendars for Burning Heart 09, the Big Tent Revival. This is our fourth annual Say Goodbye to Fall revival that we have in the park. September, Say Goodbye to Summer. Uh, and uh, come September 5th at Sugar House Park from 5 to 8 p.m. And we will have bands, Adams Road uh, from Florida, 
and Jeremiah's Fire from Salt Lake will be here there to inspire you. We hope we hope you'll take the initiative and invite your neighbors to come out. Box lunches from Subway, along with all cotton candy, popcorn machines, inflatable bouncing houses for the kids, booths for churches and ministries. And toward the end, we're going to go inside this giant tent and have a good old tent revival with worship and the spoken word. So uh, we want to invite you to come out. We hope you'll pin that down in your calendar. Also, this coming Tuesday, uh, August 11th, 6 p.m. here at the studio, we have an open door volunteer meeting for if you want to help out at Burning Heart. So please join us for that. More information, go to www.hotm.tv. You know, amidst everything that we cover on the program, there are a thousand side issues that never get tapped on when it comes to the Mormon Christian debate and dialogue. We get the LDS writing us and making huge efforts at trying to explain these the singular things like um, polygamy or the ontology of God or the Bible and, and all these issues. And they just don't realize that there are hundreds and hundreds of other small issues that make them in opposition to biblical Christianity. For example, it's no secret that the LDS recognize, refer to, and even sing about a being that they call Mother in Heaven. Now, this is one of the items Joseph Smith supposedly restored to the true church, and um, they talk about it still today. In the LDS manual, Achieving a Celestial Marriage, in 1976, page 129, it reads, For as we have a Father in heaven, so also we have a mother there, a glorified, exalted, ennobled mother. In an LDS publication called The Juvenile Instructor, dated April 15, 1894, a hymn was printed to which it was paraphrased and considered, quote, a prayer to the goddess, referring to the LDS Heavenly Mother. Nearly a hundred years later, while acknowledging the existence of a Heavenly Mother, President Gordon B. Hinckley in 1991 said, I consider it inappropriate for anyone in the church to pray to our Mother in Heaven, end quote. Still, the affirmation of the existence of God's wife remains. In the present-day LDS hymnal, there's a song uh, or a hymn called, Oh, My Father, and there's a line referencing heaven and the existence of a heavenly mother that says, Truth is reason, truth eternal, tells me I've a mother there. What would a Christian say about the notion of God the Father having a wife? of all of us having a mother in heaven to which we think about and long for and imagine, but who we don't pray to. First of all, it flies in the face of how the Bible describes God. Three, personage, three persons in one. Um, so who had the wife in the Christian uh, trinity? Was it the Father? Was it the Son? Was it the Holy Spirit? Was it all three? Obviously, that notion is not going to fit with the Trinitarian concept. The idea of a heavenly mother is counter to all the Bible ever says about God, including the idea that God is not a man, that God has no beginning or end, there is no one before him, he is a spirit, he is immutable. The very idea that there is a belief that there's a mother in heaven directly implies that God himself is insufficient, that he is lacking somehow and that he needs a wife. Second, the idea of a mother in heaven is counter to the Bible's teaching that Jesus, the word, created all things. All things. Heavenly 
Mormons believe that a heavenly set of parents in skin, in bodies of skin and bones, copulated to create spirit children, including Jesus. But the Bible teaches that Jesus created all things. Okay? It would be illogical and against biblical Christianity to believe that Jesus created all things, but that he had a mother in heaven. Finally, the only time the Bible even mentions what we consider a heavenly female goddess is in Jeremiah. And it's interesting because in Jeremiah 7:18, God s speaks about how entire families are involved in this pagan worship of this heavenly female being. Uh, Jeremiah 7:18 says, "The children gather wood, the fathers kindle fire, and the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven." And they pour out drink offerings to other gods that they may provoke me to anger. The queen of heaven was actually the goddess Ashtaroth, who was the wife of Baal or Moloch, and he was considered the king of heaven. And these male and female goddesses and gods in the pagan rituals were believed to be the generative or regenerative power the, the way to procreate there up in the heavens. And because they existed, the, this queen of heaven, the pagan religions began to involve prostitution in their rites. Consider this, where the idea of a queen in heaven produced prostitution in the pagan religions back in the day, the idea of a mother in heaven or mothers in heaven promotes and supports the Mormon idea of polygamy. Um, the practice of polygamy in, in Joseph's life came first. He later supported the practice through this myth or teaching that there were mother or mothers in heaven tied to God the Father. What is really interesting about the ancient belief in feminine goddesses is what happened when the children of Israel abandoned their belief in making cakes for the queen of heaven. Do you know what happened? What happened was, Jeremiah 44, 18, they said, but since we stopped burning incense to the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto her, we have wanted, we have been, we have needed all things and have been consumed by the sword and by famine. So it's really interesting. In other words, when they stopped their sacrifices to these pagan goddesses, the wealth and protection that they had enjoyed ended. The God of this world rewards with the things of this world. This speaks volumes regarding the present day power and wealth of Mormonism. Look, God is God. He is eternal, omnipotent, uncreated, not a man, and without a wife or wives. There is no mother in heaven. And this LDS concept is just another twist in the biblical concept of Christianity, one of a hundred in their claims of following the true and living God. With that, let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we uh, love you. We dedicate this time to you. Pray you'll be with us as we go through tonight's program. And uh, pray you'll be with our studio audience, our viewing audience, our internet audience, our archival audience, our volunteers, this station, and all that you're doing to bring these messages out, Lord. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week we had the pleasure of receiving a most revelatory call from a man who said his name was Ed. Uh, what made Ed's call so priceless is that he embodied, embodied 
uh, what we have claimed the final product of Mormonism is in human beings. Uh, blindness and pride. Not 10 minutes earlier in the program last week, I read an email where someone said, what amazes you most about Mormonism? And I said, blindness and pride. Then Ed called. Uh, when a math teacher is teaching math and a sparrow flies into the room, the best teachers will put down the math book and begin teaching about sparrows. So while we have been talking about polygamy, a sparrow flew into the room last week. And I think in it, the exchange is worthy of review. First of all, when Ed called, he said that he wanted to know more about my person, me, the host of this show. Now, examining me is really important to the LDS mindset because, well, for two reasons. First, the religion is centered on man, okay? What he is, who he is, what he has done, what he's accomplished, what he's failed at. And so all people are held up to this, this ideal of man and women. When I say man, I mean men, women, okay? It's, it's the humanism. Even if you're LDS and you're active, you'll recognize that when you go to the ward, there's kind of this a sizing up game that occurs. It, it, happens kind of, it happens in different ways, but it usually we could summarize it by saying, they, well, what's your name? Now, if your last name's Hinckley or Monson, then, then that means something, okay? But if it's uh, McCraney, it doesn't mean too much, at least, well, maybe not what we, people would want. And then they might say, did you go on a mission? You know, and did you go to the States or did you go to Europe? Did you learn a language on the mission? Then they'll talk about, are you married? Oh, where did you get married? And if you say Los Angeles, they might say, in the temple? So then you have that sizing up go, go on. And then they'll ask about what your husband or wife does for an occupation. Now, if you're a blue collar worker or you're a white collar, you're independently wealthy, all those things start categorizing you as a man, as a human being in the ward. And then your education and did you go to BYU? Uh, did you go to U of U, wherever? Your um, number of kids you have, how successful they are, what neighborhood you're living in. All this goes on constantly in every LDS ward because it's centered on man. So this is one of the things that led Ed to wanting to know a little bit about me. Second reason, it's important when a person like me criticizes Mormon, the Mormon church that the people show that there's something wrong with the criticizer because nothing could possibly wrong with the church. Nothing could possibly be wrong with it. So therefore, there's something really wrong with the person who's criticizing it, and that was part of Ed's whole uh, method of operation. So Ed wanted to know more about me, and we're going to roll a segment, and uh, we're going to do this in segments and show you how that went, and then we'll go from there. All right, we're going to Ed in Salt Lake City, first-time caller. Ed, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, um, questions. Yeah. Uh, you're very critical. Of, of the LDS Church. I've seen you three or four times, and, and uh, I'd like to know a little bit about you, if that's possible. What do you want to know? Uh, I want to know, uh, where, where do you get your funding? <laughs> the money is the first thing you want to know? No, it's... it's uh, you, 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 can I, I ask you questions, or are you afraid to answer questions? No, I'll answer any question you want. I'm just pointing that out to the audience. That's funny. I'll tell you exactly, all, all right? right. Uh, but... You Let know, me tell you, you ask the question. Let me tell you. And then you can go to your next one. My wife and I, we went into debt 
to start this whole ministry. We self-published the book and had our garage full of them while we used credit cards to send them out to people. Uh, we have never asked for funds until this last year when we had people partner with us. We went for three and a half years self-funding the entire ministry, except for people who decided to give, uh, contribute. And I think for three years, the total contributions for our ministry of me traveling up here every week and back was $12,200. That's for three years, and that's of me working a job at a state park collecting parking tickets. Okay, so don't go down, don't, don't hit me with something and infer like there's some sinister, you want money and you want to know where money is used evil, go look into the LDS church, okay? We're talking billions of dollars. Are, 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 you, are you going to let me say anything? I am now, I answered your question. Okay, so you, you are parking ticket, uh, that's where you got your money, is that correct? No, that's, that's where I went into debt. Okay, so you... you you're an honorable man. You work, right? You show up, right? Yeah, I show up. I showed up tonight. Um, it's important to know that within Mormonism, they have two great claims against Christianity. The first claim is they have no authority. No Christian pastor, nobody has any authority. That's one of their big claims. The other one, which is huge, is the one that Ed attacked me with first, and it seems like it wasn't an attack, but it was, and that is, tell me about your money. Because in the LDS temple, Satan, at least when I was going through, he would hire Protestant ministers to preach. Satan, actually Satan, an actor in the film, would hire the Protestant ministers to preach. And so therefore, most Latter-day Saints believe, because they've been taught, that anybody who preaches the word of God and is paid for it is of the devil. See? So it's built into their mindset. And they don't realize what the Bible says, what God himself says about people who serve him. And that the ox, uh, it, it's not good to muzzle the ox, that was the Old Testament reference, and that a servant is worthy of his hire in, in the Lord's kingdom. It doesn't mean you get rich, and there's been a lot of abuse, I understand that, and they prey upon that abuse. But at the same time, they don't look at their own financial issues. They don't look at how much their people are making. They don't, make, uh, they don't look at how tithing is required for you to become a god. And you have to pay 10% to the church in order to become a god. So all their money issues are set aside and, and, and they, they think they're going to jump in. And I don't know what Ed was expecting. Did he want me to say, well, Ed, I'm a multimillionaire from, from this. Uh, thanks. But I, I'm not. But it's a strange thing that he went, th went that way. Okay. The next question about uh, after how is the ministry uh, was funded is the classic attack. And it was about my appearance. So let's go to that one. But I've watched you uh, over a period of a year. I, not every In fairness, probably I've seen you four times. And you seem to be deteriorating as an individual. <laughs> Respond to that? I can respond to it. Um, Thank you. I hope I'm deteriorating in my flesh. I hope that no, this no, flesh. You, no, wait. The way you look. I understand your. You, you talk. I understand your point. And uh, I purposely look this way so that guys like you can look in their heart. Okay? I can make myself a, a handsome, representable guy, you know? I can put on a white shoot and tie and really look good and play the part. I do this purposely so guys like you can say, boy, look at, he's, the devil's moved into that guy now. You know, why don't you that. look at the... Don't, I, I didn't you didn't say, say that? that? What does deteriorating no. mean? Because appearance, 
you wear costumes, I wear costumes. Right? I don't wear costumes. I wear what I wear. I wear these clothes uh, on the sir, street. Sir, I, uh, that is that 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 word costume is is a style. Let's say you wear a style, I wear a style. All right. I wear a shirt and tie every day. I'm sorry. And, and the reason I do that because I require my younger men to do that way. What a but, shame. No. Well, Thoreau said, trust, new, but, trust no enterprise sir, that requires new clothes. I, no, I'm very skeptical sir, of people who require their younger men to wear ties. What are you trying to get them to tell your customers? Because I want them to be established and people to respect them. I understand. Okay. I wonder if you, uh, what, you what, what, what would you have thought of Jesus? Ed, what would you have thought of Jesus? I don't know how Jesus looked. How about you? John the Baptist? We do know how he looked. John the Baptist was an outdoorsman, right? <laughs> John the Baptist never cut his hair. He never shaved. He lived out in the desert. He ate grasshoppers and honey. He wore a, a, a coat that was sticky and harsh on the skin. You would have hated him. You would have despised him. You would have looked at him sure. on the street, and you would have told your young men in their ties, have nothing to do with that guy right sure. there. Sir, you Pharisee! You I'm on one tonight. You don't, you don't really understand, do you? I understand completely. That's the you, problem, you, Ed. No, no, you don't. I do. You like to lecture, and you like to put people down. You don't want to understand how people act and feel and, and, and talk Ed, I, I just what I do is I summarize what you're trying to deliver, and I get to the point. You have done the same thing, except you do it with great politeness. You say deteriorating instead of you look like crap. There are, there are a lot of different catchwords that you use, but just because you're able to tell me to go to hell without saying it doesn't mean you're not conveying that message. I know what you're I, doing. I'm, I know I'm what glad, you're doing, Ed. I'm glad you're a mind reader. I oh. asked, I simply said, I can't have intuition. First you talk about where do I get my money, then you talk yeah. about how I've deteriorated. What's next? You want to know about my sex life now, Ed? No, I, I'm sure your sex life's very full. <laughs> well... You know what was interesting about that is, and uh, an emailer pointed this out, and I didn't catch it then, but what was interesting is I said to, to Ed, what w how would you view Jesus? And Ed's response was, I don't know what Jesus looked like. It wasn't, so it shows that it's how you look and how you appear to everybody that makes you who you are within Mormonism. Now, uh, last Sunday, we uh, got together and we uh, talked about, uh, at our Bible study, the people who received Jesus, all right? What, what were they like? And so we kind of made a list and we said, well, they were unwashed. They were considered the great unwashed by the Pharisees. And they were sick and ill and they were poor usually, generally, not all of them. And they were sinners. And they were broken and they were outcast. Sorry for this bouncing. And um, they were uneducated. And they were uh, lawless. And they were often disrespected. Okay, so we came up with that list. 
These are the people, generally speaking, who received Jesus back when he was alive. Now, we come across the, the board and we say, who rejected Jesus when he was on this earth? And we can describe some characteristics, and they're almost opposite of what we have over here. They were the clean. Jesus called them whited sepulchers. They were whited, whited shirts, okay? And they were healthy. They were whole. Jesus would talk about the whole. They usually had money. They had wealth or riches, which doesn't necessarily make you bad or good. It depends on what you're, how you use them. We talked about that. But Jesus did talk about it's difficult to get into heaven as a rich man. And sinners, they didn't view themselves as sinners. They viewed themselves as the lawful. And broken, never. And outcast, no, they were the respected of the community. And the uneducated, no, they were usually highly educated, especially the religious leaders, highly educated. And they usually obeyed the law. And they usually had all the respect of the community. Now, let me ask you a question, okay? And this is the question you got to know, all right? What about today? Has anything changed today with the people who receive Jesus and the people who reject him? There's not much different, folks. You get that, Latter-day Saints? When you start looking on that side and you think because you're whited and you're holy and you have respect and you're educated and you have money and, and you dress the part, when you start going down that road, you are no different than all of the people who rejected Jesus when he was on earth. And the people who find him and receive him today are the broken, sinful, usually struggling, not very well, uh, not very good looking. Do you get it? Does that make some sense? <sighs> All right. Now, the first Corinthians really sizes it up. And Paul writes, listen to this, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men for you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen, yea, the things which are not to bring to not things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Ed, did you hear that? No flesh should glory in in his presence. Let me make this clear once again. Our ministry appreciates people who are accomplished. They help keep us alive and on the air. But our focus is, has always been to the lost, the disaffected, the struggling LDS people who have never had a chance in that faith for one reason or another. This is who Jesus went to when he was on earth. This is who we go to. Now, we receive all sorts of communications from well-meaning Christians who say, we think you're doing a disservice to your audience by your appearance. We think that the LDS audience that you're trying to reach should look at you in a more respectable way. And we say, you don't know who our audience is then. We know who our audience is, and it's those people that Jesus came to. We're going after the same ones. All right. Uh, Ed couldn't get anywhere with the way I appear, so he brought in a rhetorical weapon that they always use on guys like me, and that's my sin. So let's watch what he had to say. 
how many adulterous relationships have you had in your life? Wait, Ad, go ahead, Ed. Ed, wait, wait. No, I can't, wait, I couldn't hear you. Say, start it again. I think the, one of the reasons you were excommunicated was because of sex. I was, I was, I was excommunicated, Ed, for everything you can imagine. No, and I have said that on this show. First of all, you were a seminary teacher, and you were excommunicated because of sexual violations. Uh, Ed, you are absolutely correct. And I was excommunicated because I refused to believe in Mormon doctrine. And I was excommunicated. And I was excommunicated because I used uh, pharmaceutical drugs to excess. And I was excommunicated, not because I was a seminary teacher at the time. That's not true, Ed. That inference is incorrect. I have made no bones about what my life was as a Mormon. I was the product of Mormonism, remember. I looked really good when I lived that life. That's what's interesting about this, is you, now when I'm chose, close to the Lord... You chose the, you chose the life you're living, and that's your responsibility, Absolutely. Right? We're back. And uh, James chapter 2, verse 10, James wrote, For whoso shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of the whole law. And Romans 7.25, Paul writes, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind... I myself serve the law of God, uh, which is love. But with the flesh, the law of sin. When you're born again, this is so important, my friends. You have a renewal of your mind. Repentance is a changing of your mind in the Hebrew. And your mind knows when the Spirit of God moves in what is right and what is wrong. Your body may still do things that are evil. So when I talk about being a bad guy and being a sinner, I don't mean to infer that I believe and I practice adultery, drunkenness, drug use, any of those things. But if I was to let my flesh rule, I would without question go to those things. I am guilty of the whole law because I have broken part of the law in my life. In fact, in my life, I've broken most of the law. All right? I have no bones about that. The whole issue with Ed was he wanted to show, he wanted to say to the LDS viewers, look it, he is not someone you can trust. He has had sin in his life. And that was his whole point. We're going to the fourth segment or are we going to a break? Fourth segment. Here we go. Uh, the next attack. Because you failed and you didn't show up and you couldn't keep the commandments of the Lord, you now profess to know everything. Ed. When in reality you're covering up sins that I you've committed. Ed, I don't cover any sin. Continuing to commit. Ed, you're believing what you want to believe. Will you let me say this? Since the beginning of this show, people have called in. Why did you get excommunicated? I have said many times for every sin under the sun. In the book I wrote, I said I was the most egregious sinner. I consider myself like Jean-Paul Sartre. I've never met a man more evil than myself. I have not hid anything, Ed. You are trying to put on me a picture to make yourself feel better. I'm sorry. No, I, I feel sorry for you. I don't care about and, your and, that. And well, Ed feels sorry for me. And I guess we're going to just go to the next clip because I think that was more of what we were talking about. 
So let's jump to the next one. Wow, this is really looking bad. Let's talk about something else, and that is you said, I didn't obey the commandments. Ed, I want to know, do you obey the commandments? Yes, I do. To the best of my ability. Excellent. Ed, Ed, Jesus said, don't look on a woman with lust. Have you ever done it? I, I do not do it. What? I do not do that. Have no. you ever done it? I, I, I look at women. I appreciate beauty in all forms. Oh, you are but pathetic, never, man. You are pathetic, dude. I've never committed fornication. I've never committed adultery. What, what did Jesus say about adultery, Ed? He said, if you look upon a woman with lust, you've committed it in your heart. Have you done that, Ed? Is it in your heart or is it in, in, in your... Ed, answer my question. Ed, answer my question. I don't believe that, sir. Jesus said it. Jesus said it. In your Bible as far as it's translated correctly. Oh, you are pathetic. That's in your Bible, too. I know the King James Mormon Bible. It says it in yours, too. So it's classic because what happened with Ed there, and I hope he's watching tonight, is he is so steeped in thinking that his salvation is up to him that he even refuses to see the sin that's in his life. He refuses to admit it. Did you hear him stop and stutter? Ed, have you ever lusted upon a woman? I consider the beauty wonderful. And I mean, and, and he just couldn't admit. He couldn't admit because he has been taught and trained that he has to fit this mold. And so he's deceiving himself. I mean, that, that's the easiest thing we can do. We all do it. But that is what happens is they, they pretend that sin is not there. And they pretend that they are compensating for sin that is there through their outward righteousness and their works and their actions. He could not admit to sin. That is part of a, that's a huge problem for somebody. You want liberty in Christ? Admit that you're a sinner. You don't hear in testimony meetings people stand up and say, I am a sinner saved by grace. Never! It's, I did my home teaching this month and it was hard for me to do, but I did it. I had $10 left in my wallet to pay tithing or to feed my family of seven, but I paid the $10 to tithe and I was... It's always about the things they do to show other people how righteous they are. It's a sin. It's a crime, Ed. It's a crime for any of you to think that way. Let's go to the next clip. Ed, have you ever told a lie? You tell lies every... I, I, I admit listen, it. I'm a liar. The biggest to on the earth. Polygamy diatribe, diatribe. Hey, hey, and I hey. listen carefully. And Ed, what's wrong? You're starting to get angry. Every was out of context. Was without any reputable Ed. reputation. You Ed, a, apostates. You used outside uh, uh, writers Ed. that have been disproven. And that's what you do on your show. Ed, and you act august. Ed. You are so perfect. We're talking about your sin. No, you got off that really you. quick, didn't you? We, we, we need to talk Ed, about let's it. talk about your sin. You brought mine up. Quid pro quo, Ed. You brought my sin up. I have how no problem you, saying... How can you be a minister Ed, and act like you do? Ed, let's talk, about, Ed, let's talk about your sin. Ed, and, and Ed, you, ter- you, you Ed, preach dogma. Ed, you preach false doctrine. Ed, let's talk about you your preach. sin. Ed, you, you, you're, you're a hiss and a byword. Ed, I talked about my sin openly. How, how many friends do you have? In I don't have life? any friends, Ed. Ed, tell me about your sin. Have you ever lied, Ed? Certainly I've lied. Then you're a liar. Did you know that? I, I, everyone is Did you a liar. Know, everyone's a liar? Okay, so you'll agree to that. So lying is one sin, 
But if I if I had a problem with women or drugs, that's worse, Ed, in your book. I think you have to answer that question. I did. It's not worse in my book. It's all ugly sin, Ed. You're the one who does, has the problem, not me. Well, no, Are you starting no, to see this in yourself? No. Ed, sir, do you have a problem you're, with you're, pride? You're a great rationalizer. You know, I'm not rationalizing anything. There's and no... then you criticize other people's Ed, personal beliefs. There, your personal beliefs are a lie when you say you're Christian. That's it. Say you're not a Christian, I'll leave you alone. That I'm so Ed went on and he said, oh, I'm definitely a Christian. And we're going to hear in a couple minutes about what that meant to him. Now, you have to understand, you are hearing really the product of Mormonism come through Ed. He's not an aberration. He really is kind of, a, he's a general, active, faithful male member, probably in his mid-40s, 50s, 60s, who's lived it his whole life. And he has come to this point where he has become proud in, in his righteousness. He has become condescending in the way he looks at the world and other people. And he believes that the solution is... Uh, self-monitoring and self-improvement and progression in order to become uh, ready to become a god. Now, I want to explain something to you as we're preparing this next clip, and then we're going to go to the phone lines. The law, and I've talked about this a lot, but just understand this. You can choose two ways, and people will disagree, but you can choose two ways to reach God in your life. You can choose to try to do it through your own righteousness, or you can choose to do it through the blood of Jesus shed for you. There are no other uh, options when it comes to God, okay? He gave the law. Now, this law looks like a mirror, and I want you to just imagine the studio audience and the viewing audience that you're looking at a mirror, all right? And in this mirror is the law, and you decide you're going to try to reach it by obeying it perfectly. Well, when you look in that mirror, you look at the law, you view yourself as so good and so righteous, and you don't see the defects in yourself. You see yourself as a perfect specimen. And what that does when you look to the law and you've obeyed so much of it, and you see yourself as perfect, is you turn around and you point the finger at others and you say, look how bad they are, okay? So that's one way that the law will turn on you. You cannot live by the law because you become proud trying to do it through your own righteousness. On the other mirror, you look in it and the law says, look what a sinner you are. This is much more preferable because then you say, I have no hope. I can't do it. So what you say is, I am done for. Jesus, help me. I can't obey all the commandments. I'm a failure. And then the blood of Christ comes in and you say, there was no other way for me. That law was impossible for me to keep. I'm a demon when I look in that mirror. Therefore, the law leads you like a schoolmaster to Christ. There's two ways. The LDS use this mirror. They look in this reflection and say, look how good I'm doing. And it breeds the very thing God hates, pride. Let's hear now, finally, what uh, Ed says about his salvation. He says he's a Christian. Let's hear what he says about How are you getting to heaven? What's going to get you there, Ed? Works. As Beautiful. Well. Awesome. See, see, you, I, you don't believe. No, I appreciate see, you, this. You failed at working. I have. You, I, I you have, have failed. You're right, Ed, you're right. I have you failed. You have failed I have at failed. working. I have failed at working. You I, think the Lord's going to take you to heaven I on do. a chariot. I do. And reality, you're headed. I don't know where you're headed. Okay, Ed, I have failed in all works. I, nothing I do has ever been sufficient. I am a miserable worker. I have given nothing but slop to God, 
and I admit that. I will continue to give nothing but slop. Have you ever answer this question? You love you love honesty, right? I, well, that's funny you would say that about me, but go ahead. Uh, have you ever been successful in anything in your life? No. No, I, I'm serious now. I'm serious have, too. Have you been a finisher? I'm not a finisher, Ed. Right. I'm and, a, and I am the that. lowest of low. I don't no. know how to say how no, many I ways can... I can say this. Oh, you don't want, be so childish. You, no, you want me to say something that you think is in me. You don't get it. I do not have I... a bone in my body that thinks I am good. Because I'm not. I tell my wife and kids, man, I am a bad guy. Ed, look it. I'm saying this how... on the air to you. I'm a very bad man. How, but... do, you, how do you look at your kids and, and your wife and say that? Because it's the truth, Ed. And the problem is, is they know that, but they know that I trust in a God who saved me as a bad man. Okay? And this is what I'm trying but to get you through said, to you. You, you said get it? you're a bad man now. I'm a, I'm a bad guy even today. It's only Christ Jesus that saved me that makes anything good of my flesh, Ed. You know, okay. what? And, and, and sir, yeah? I'm saying, you're saying you're bad. I am a bad man. Then repent and change your life and be productive. You're not getting it, Ed. I am getting it, and that's what the Lord put us down here to be. You did, did To he? learn and progress and, and challenge life. So you're going to save yourself about... by your works. No. Ed, I, I really, as bad as I am, I feel very bad for you. I feel very bad for a man who calls and Every, says... It, you know, He's saved by his works. I, I, I'm saved. Everybody's saved. You I, are I'm just a amazing. Everybody's to me saved. Even you. Ed, but, you are just so... It's, I, I just... Please stop talking. So, uh, Ed then preached the universalism of Mormonism. There's three kingdoms. The liars, the murderers, the rapists. Those people who don't accept Jesus go to a kingdom in Mormonism. And uh, they don't need Jesus at all there, but it's a place Joseph Smith said you'd kill yourself if you saw it, it's so glorious. And then the people who love Jesus, uh, they will go to the middle kingdom, and, but don't accept Mormonism, they're the middle kingdom, and then the highest kingdom is where you become a god. And this is what Ed is talking about when everybody's gonna be saved. Ed, uh, it, it breaks my heart really to, re to review that, because in one sense, I don't want you to get the wrong opinion. When you come to know Jesus, your life does change. And when I'm, again, when I'm talking to Ed and saying there's nothing good in me, I just mean in Sean McCraney, the man. Men are not good. No matter, and that's what Ed needs to understand. Now, since knowing Christ, and it's really funny because as a Latter-day Saint, I mean, I looked really sharp, man. I look like a GQ guy. And, uh, and I was so vile. I was vile in my heart. And yet now I look like the bum guy and, uh, and my heart is clean and pure and I want to do what's right. You see, and this is what I'm trying to get Ed to understand. Ed, Galatians 2.16, we've gone a lot of time, we've got a lot of calls. It says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, Ed, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified, Ed. With one minute left, we did a final concluding uh, segment with Ed, and I made a summary uh, statement, and let's show what we said. Maybe we don't have that? 
We don't have it. Okay, we're going to Ron in uh, Salt Lake City online too. Ron, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sean, how you doing? I haven't seen the show in a while. You look like you're going for the washed-out surfer look there. <laughs> it's always something, man. How are you? Got a, you got a question, my friend? Yeah, so my question is, uh, why do why do bad people who reject Jesus uh, still live happy lives and have good lives? God, God sends the sun and rain to shine down on the just and the unjust. Life is a gift. He created you. He wants you to enjoy this experience. And so if you're, and plus, you know, the, the, there is no reason or rhyme. Satan sometimes can reward people for doing evil. Uh, that's Job's question. I mean, it's a proverbial question, but I believe a loving creator gives people life. And he doesn't say, I'm going to take away good food and fun times from you because you don't believe in my son. He's just going to say, you're going to go to a place you're not going to like afterward. So that's so why. God's kind of saying, go for it, man, just do it. He said, yeah, you know, and Vernon McGee once said, listen, if you're not going to embrace Jesus Christ and, and accept him as Savior, live it up now. Because yeah, like you're ready for adventure. You, you might as well take all advantage of it now because it, it, nothing's going to be worth it after. So, I, you know, I think there's some truth to that. we really got to move through the show, Ron. I've got a bunch of calls, and I went over time. God bless right, you, and thanks for calling. God bless. Bye-bye. We're going to Joe First-time caller, LDS in Clinton. Joe, you're on Heart of the Matter. Joe? Hello. How you doing, Sean? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing absolutely wonderful. Thanks for coming on. I just wanted to see if, um, yeah, I really uh, thought that your uh, conversation with Ed was interesting and uh, made some really good points. Um, I myself am a Mormon. I just wanted to see if um, you could agree with me on the definition of a Christian which I believe uh, you're a Christian. I believe that myself and all the Mormons that believe that Christ or their Savior are Christians. But as far as the uh, definition of a Christian, would you agree that the definition of Christians, um, that they accept Christ as the Savior of the world, and that defines somebody as a Christian? No. Okay, what would your definition of Christian be? I think it ties to uh, the Gospel, which is that uh, God himself came in the flesh. He suffered for the sins of the world and by his and resurrected and by his shed blood and his shed blood alone we are saved. Okay. I can uh, I can I can agree with you on most of the points there. My main my main point Sean was just to see if we can get some common ground. I think um, in my at least in my opinion the most important thing about uh, Christ's gospel is that he paid for our sins. And through that, we can become forgiven and go back to heaven. And so, therefore, if I believe that and accept Christ as my Savior, I consider myself a Christian. Okay. Well, and I don't know where I'd stand wrong on that. Well, you know, I'm not the one who can judge your faith, Joe, and where you are with Christ. You may be a, a more faithful and faith-believing in Christ than I am. I don't know that. But all I do know, what I do know is what the doctrines teach in Mormonism. Because what you've just said in a simple statement and getting rid of all the minutiae and hair splitting and arguing, the LDS Church adds so much on top of what you just said that, uh, you know, what you're saying then is I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian who's a Mormon, but I don't believe in everything else they're saying is necessary. I think that uh, most religions do that. I know that, I mean, there are over a thousand Christian religions that all believe in the Bible, and every one of them have their specific dogmas, and every one of them have their specific rules. Some are many, many are liberal, many are conservative. 
but the main point of being, I guess, in the family of Christianity is that you believe that Christ is your Savior. And so I just don't understand why wow. many of the Christian world it's, reject Mormons being, uh, you know... It's the uh, core, it's the the core issues, uh, Joe. It's the core issues. Believing in the Bible is not a requisite. Uh, it does not stamp you as being Christian or a Christian church because uh, there are core issues that the Bible teaches, and liberal Christians and this New Age Christianity might say they believe in the Bible, but I, I would question that. The core issues are agreed upon in the Christian church. That is, Jesus is God, the Trinity, He was resurrected, and salvation by grace alone. You cannot, Mormonism does not agree with most of those things. It all depends, once again, upon your definition of what all that means. I 100% believe that it's faith alone that can make us safe, but, as it, as it states in James, that faith without works is dead. So you at least have to, have to give it a try. You used to at least, you know, sincerely have to try to follow Jesus Christ. Okay, but you have to, to remember, faith, remember that, that, that uh, statement in James is not talking about works. It's talking about faith. Faith comes before the works. The horse comes before the cart. Okay. I agree. All I right. Think, I think that true, uh, that true Mormonism teaches that as well. But, Joe, true Mormonism also teaches a new and everlasting covenant that's necessary to live with God the Father again. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry. That is an addition that is anathema. It teaches, in fact, we can go through the quotes, that you have to have works to save you. That's not true. Sal salvation comes first. The works come second. So we could go on. We've done 100 and over 170 shows on this stuff, Joe. So I understand your, your intention. You want to make it, you want to hopefully come to some common ground. But I've got to tell you, having been LDS 40 years and now having gone to Bible school and done this show and everything else, the common ground is very small. We believe in the same, uh, we believe in the same good living, I would think. And okay. we can agree on, on maybe that. politics. Most Christians are conservative right wing. Mm -hmm. But, man, when it comes to doctrine, we are so far afield, it's scary. Yeah, you know, and once again, I think that, uh, you know, your form of Christianity and your form of believing in the Bible would differ very differently from maybe, say, a Southern Baptist. No, maybe not in the Catholic. core issues. Not on the maybe core a, issues. That's not maybe true. Maybe a Catholic. I mean, you know, we can all say what, what's, what does a core issue mean exactly. I well, mean, the, the, beautiful, the beautiful thing is, Joe, is it's not the religion you go to. It's have you been born again, and are, do you believe in what the Bible teaches about salvation by grace? You know, yes, and by Jesus Christ, exactly, which Mormons agree on. No, they don't. No, we and, do. And we believe that Joe, only through Jesus Christ and through yeah. faith we are saved. We at least, though, what what we do add that most Christians don't don't accept is that we at least have to give a try. We at least have to sincerely believe in Christ and try to follow Him. And you know, and emulate him in our lives. Every and Christian we I know believes that. Well, then, then we're on common ground. We're, we're not, so though. We and I understand what you're doing. Well, I know what you're trying to present, and I know you probably believe this, Joe. But you're you're just absolutely wrong, my friend. And this is why the the majority of Christian churches reject Mormon doctrine. These guys are not lightweights. These guys have spent their life studying the Bible in the original languages. They reject Mormonism out of hand because of these doctrines towards salvation, God, his makeup, temple rites, eternal marriage, all these things that add up to a giant wheelbarrow full of contradictions to what Christianity believes. 
You know, once again, I mean, it's a tit for tat for, you know. It's not tit for tat. I hate that phrase, by the way. It is not that at all. I think that it is. I I know you think that, uh, Joe, but it's not. And I I, I love you. It sounds like you're a nice guy. We could be friends. Christ will accept anybody who believes on his name. Okay. The devils believe on his name, name, Joe. The devils believe on his name. That's taken out of context. That's another problem. You can't okay, just take you just, one you just passage. Prove my point. You just prove my point. It's not just believing on his name right. that will save you. It's believing yeah, you in his blood. So you just prove my point. In his and blood, so, Joe. His blood. Exactly. Believe on his name, believe on his blood, which Mormons do. Therefore, we should be considered Christians as well. Oh, but what about everything else that they add to what Jesus did, Joe? There's, that's a tit for tat once again. It's hard to use the tit phrase. Tit for tat? I mean, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Exactly right. Wait exactly. a minute, Joe. Now you're now okay, you're pushing and pushing, so I'm gonna push back. It's okay, not tit fine. for not wait a minute. It's not tit for tat to have to devote a day of the week and call it a Sabbath, which is not a Sabbath, and, and devote yourself to that day to the church when that is gone with the law. It's not tit for tat with tithing. It's not tit for tat going into the temple and doing rituals and rites. It is not at all. They put the veil back up. Jesus tore it down. They say the Bible cannot be trusted. They say they have added revelation. Pearl of Great Price, uh, Book of Mormon. You cannot say this stuff is lightweight and we're all the same, Joe. I'm sorry, Listen, you are you are, there are, you are there weaving are something we here. In addition. Listen, there, there are many, many things that we believe in in addition to traditional and Christianity. And it's false. And the addition it, is false. And they're a lie, and they lead people from the grace and peace and liberty that Jesus gives. And it puts them in bondage to a religion. Now, listen, as far as your definition goes, it seems like it's very rigid against the Mormons. But whenever it's uh, the Mormons' belief or one of their doctrines, uh, you rail against them being very rigid, and so it, it, it doesn't go both ways with, with your definitions. No, I it does. I, sure that. I think I will readily admit any, when the Christian churches uh, or supposed Christian churches espouse a doctrine that's faulty, I'll be the first one to admit it. I'll say it's a joke. Okay. A joke. Yeah, and, and, and I agree. I mean, you know, listen, um, you know, many Christians, they, they, they have persecuted and they look down upon, I mean, you know, with Ed, listen, I didn't agree with anything that Ed said as well. Um, I thought that he was very rigid in his views, but if you go outside okay. of Utah, Wait, Joe? Uh, many, many, many evangelical hey. Christians are that way to Mormons. If you say you're a Mormon in Alabama, you get looked down upon like you're a scum of the earth. You, you should be because you embrace a false theology. That's the problem. It's not that they're looking down like you're the scum of the earth. They're saying you belong to a cult and we don't want your stuff filtering into our beliefs. Now listen, let me ask you one question. Forget all this rhetoric, Joe. Joe, are you saved? No, I'm not saved. I, I, I am saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, uh, but I at least have to give my sincere efforts. If I'm, if I'm going to forget about Jesus Christ throughout my entire life, and then on my deathbed just wish that he saves me, I truly don't believe that, uh, he's going to, that we're going to be saved. Okay, let me now, tell you. Let me t- okay, let, okay let, me, let me tell you a quick story. There's this guy, and he did nothing but steal and rob and plunder, and, and he was put on a cross next to Jesus. He did nothing with his life. And at that last day, at that last moment, Jesus said to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. What about him? He seems like he's the guy you just described. You know, he very well could be. I, I, I don't purport to know exactly what the heart of the man was. And uh, there are many people that will be saved. But uh, for me personally, I know that if I forget about Jesus Christ, and if I go about uh, 
doing things that I know that are wrong, okay. but then hope and just rely okay. solely upon the grace of Christ to be saved at last day, I, I personally Joe, don't believe I'm going to be. This dialogue reveals to me very quickly what your understanding is of Christ. When you say, if I forget about Christ, do you realize that Christians understand when you're born again, he moves in. He makes a home in you. You cannot forget about him because he's in you. This is why you have to be born again first. The way you describe it, the way you describe it is a man who does not who has not been born again and does not know what that means to have him in you. You would never say I would I will I can't forget about Christ. It would never have come out of your mouth ever. Except I, I agree with you 100%. And, you know, when you're born again, I think that uh, through that born-again experience coming to Christ, that your actions will change. Oh, and I so do, therefore too. You're living a better, so, therefore, you're living a better life, and so your works will be better, which will hopefully lead you to salvation. No, no it doesn't lead you to salvation, uh, Joe. When, when, when you receive Jesus, you're saved. Then there's a sanctifying process in your life if you follow the Lord. But if you die that day, you're saved. If you die, okay, ten, I can agree that. If you die, yeah, but see, Joe, what my point was is you're clinging to this idea that it's up to you to keep this contact with Jesus. He is righteous when you are not. That is where the peace comes in having him as your personal savior. I agree 100%. All of us are filthy human beings. There's no way we'll be saved on ourselves. And I think you said it more perfectly, could be, more perfectly than I could when you said, uh, when you follow Jesus, uh, you said those exact words, when you follow Jesus, then uh, that will, you know, by his grace, you'll be saved. And I, I agree 100%. Well, you've done a lot of agreeing with me. Uh, I think our doctrines on salvation are much more similar than they are apart. They are. They are. And I so know there are a lot of LDS people that Joe, um, give it a bad name by being very rigid. No, it's not the rigidity, judge, Joe. It's not. I know rigid Christians. It's not the rigidity. It's the blood of Jesus being sufficient. The he is he the author and finisher of your faith, not your works. The author and finisher of your faith, Joe, mm -hmm. and, and, and Mormons do not believe he is. They have I, to finish. I, I actually think that we do. We do believe well, that it is by faith that we are saved. All right. I, there's nothing 100%. I can do except I would have to have volumes this big and quote to you what all your doctrines are and everything we've talked about and show uh, you that the brother directly out of the Book of Mormon. Directly out of the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon. By faith after all that they can do. And but that is a heresy. That's a heresy. 100%. That no, right I, there I, is a heresy. Okay, and you no Christian would. When you said no Christian you are would, converted to the Lord, that you follow Him, and Joe, that is exactly right. No you need Christian, to Christ, no uh, to be saved through faith. No Christian would ever embrace that Mormon doctrine in the Book of You're Mormon. You're the one that said it. No, I'm talking about you what said you quote. Christ. What you quote? Exactly what it is. Joe, what you quoted from the Book of Mormon, Joe. No Christian on earth would ever embrace that. It's a lie. And Many it puts do. you in millions, bondage. Millions do. It puts you in bondage. Let's end it, man. Thanks for the call. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Man, this has been an unusual show because we have a lot of people. Jason in Salt Lake, Timothy in Cleveland, Jeannie in Layton. I'm sorry, we're out of time. But the LDS callers, I don't see that you're LDS. They're the ones that we are trying to talk to and trying to force this issue. The, the dialogue can get heavy because you heard there's a lot of agreeing, a lot of agreeing, and none of it is right. So we keep going. Keep us in prayer. We'll keep you in prayer. If you're LDS, go to your knees and ask the Lord to save you. He'll do it. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.
gonna break I'm gonna break my I'm gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my Gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my Gonna break my rusty cage and run Rusty cage. Oh.